0: The following is a part of the Radio Memphis On Demand service. It originally aired live on Radio Memphis and has been edited for time. As promised, uh, uh, Robert Gordon has joined us here in the studio. Thank you for uh, for coming out. Pleasure, man. Thanks for having me out, Rick. Uh, you've been out here before. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're all we're Thank all you. fans of your work around here. You know, you're a historian. I guess is a good way to look at you. Is that would that be a
1: fair assessment? I like to think of myself as the guy in the audience with a pen in his pocket.
0: A journalist, perhaps. Maybe you're Maybe. just an observer. Talk
1: to me at the bar. talk to me at the bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you, you've got what? How many books? You got what? Seven, eight, nine books out there? Six, seven, eight? Six, uh,
1: at least. Natalie's got them in front of her. She can, yeah. yeah, it's about six, about six or seven books. So you're writing a lot. Yeah, you stay busy. I do stay busy. That's good. I do stay busy. It's funny. Right now, I'm doing a lot of work to get work, films. You know. That's, that's a job in and of itself. It is. Yeah. And it's been, and there's, it's sort of the worst of both worlds because I'm living with the fear of them all happening at once, but none are <laughs> happening right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, one day it's all, you're going to open up your yeah. email and it's going to be, oh God, now yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why couldn't this have been spread out over the past couple of years? Well, for, for those that aren't
0: familiar with your, with your stuff, uh, you, uh, uh, Natalie here, is, she's, uh, I've, I dragged her into this interview to help, uh, help us out a little bit. Yeah, uh, I,
2: I just wanted to read a little a, a little short bio here. Uh, um, for that for the listeners that aren't familiar um, with about Robert, uh, Robert's an Emmy and Grammy award winning writer, uh, author of six books, and producer director of eight feature documentaries. He has focused on the American South. As it's music, art, and politics to create an insider's portrait of his home that is both nuanced and rebald. His most recent documentary, Best of Enemies, won an Emmy in 2017 for Outstanding Historical Documentary.
0: Congratulations.
2: Yeah. It was Thank the you. one about uh, William F. Buckley Jr. and Gore Vidal.
0: I saw that film, and it is brilliant.
1: It's good to have good material to work. It's creepy, but it's
0: brilliant. Gore yes. was a fascinating guy.
1: Both of them, man. I gotta say, okay, can we? It's not a Memphis rent party story. Yeah, but, no, yeah, can, but we, can we tell a you Gore tell us. Yeah. Okay, so we're making this movie, and um, you know, f- first of all, the germ of the idea came from Tom Graves, a yeah. Memphis guy, who had booked the Brooks Museum. And John Byfus wrote an article about Tom's having obtained this footage. Yes. And so uh, Tom used to run rock and roll disc and a book and a, and a newspaper by the same name as the store. And so anyway, I think it was in this building. No, see, I get this building and the Mid South building. His was in across the East High. Anyway, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that one, yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Tom had this footage, and I, I said, oh, this sounds like a documentary. You know, when you find a cache of archival footage like that. With these icons, there's a you know there's a dock in there. So uh, so I cleared the footage. I uh, worked it out with Tom, cleared the footage. Uh, we, we go to interview Gore Vidal. He's still alive. Buckley's dead. Um, his partner, uh, Howard, uh-huh. Gore's partner, Howard, had just passed away. And Gore had closed up the house in Italy and moved back to his longtime mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Yes. The Miss Haversham mansion. Yeah, the Haversham mansion. Yes. (laughs) It was like gorgeous. It was gorgeous and, you know, faded glory. Yeah. And so we were setting up there. I I will say, for this documentary, I did the two most intimidating interviews I ever did. The first one was was with uh, Chris. Uh, I want to say Chris Buckley. Chris Ah, uh, oh, Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens. Oh, he's an intimidating. Dude, I was afraid anyway, uh... he was going to chew me up and spit me out. And, and man, <laughs> we had a bat, blast. Yeah. We had a blast, really a blast, and and like.
0: Yeah, you just bring liquor and cigarettes, and he's in your pocket, and he. You know. He
1: had the liquor and the cigarettes, and and we had the topic, and he was good to go, and it was so much fun. And like ten days after we left, he was diagnosed with cancer, mm. so we got that last great interview. Oh, good for you! Where, the, where yeah. the mind, you know, the air wasn't. Wasn't foggy, um, yeah, it was and so cat. the two interviews. The other one was Gore Vidal. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna like ch- spit us up," you know, because
0: chew- he was w- Gore was a difficult cat. Wasn't oh, he? He very was notor- difficult, guy, notorious notoriously
1: for difficult. And now we're catching him in his old age. And and Gore had said something, so we knew he was going to do the interview because he had this line: "The two things you never say no to are sex and appearing on television." And so we were offering the ladder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't he do that interview like in his bedroom, like in his bed, with you?
1: Yeah. So okay, yeah. did I do tell you this story? Can... Well, no, no, because I because I
0: think it's it kind of it's it's sort of in the film. It's sort of no, insinu- it's not. We don't
1: use this interview in the film. So so we go. We interview. We we're setting up, and uh, we're in this like sunken living room, and the manservant comes in and says. You know, are you ready for Mr. Vidal? Yes, send him in. Um, And he's in a wheelchair, and his eyes are down. He's not looking at anybody. And uh, when he comes right into the room where we are, it's, like, awkward that he's not looking at anybody. Right. And Tom, who was out there with me and Morgan for the interview, uh, pipes up, you know. uh, Mr. Vidal, my, uh, my... great uncle was in the uh, Aleutian Islands at the same time you were, and he said he could never get warm. And Gore Vidal says, I had my. His eyes come up. It's the first time he makes eye contact with anybody in the room. And his first words are, I had my rage to keep me warm.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, wow. All right. So now we go change our diapers and we come back yeah, in. Yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. Because yeah, he's, he's, he was an intimidating cat. I mean.
1: So, but we didn't use the interview because, um, well, the official reason was because we didn't have a balance of an interview for. William Buckley because Buckley was dead, but really and honestly, it was that um, Gore sabotaged the interview. I think, he, in my opinion, yeah, he knew enough about how to how a video interview worked. And at one point, I like forced him in a series of three questions to create an answer that I could edit as a right, statement. Right, And he was making that not happen, and he was just dissing savvy. Buckley. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was very savvy. Yeah. So then we're we're like we you know, yelled uncle at a certain point and said, thank you, sir. We're done. Honored, <laughs> honored. Couldn't be more honored, you know, and, and we're packing up and the man comes back and says, uh, Mr. Vidal would like to know if you'd like to have cocktails with him upstairs. We're like, Oh my God, do we need drinks? Yes. 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 You know, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, say no to that. No. <clears throat> so we go upstairs and the man we, we, he turns this corner and he goes uh, in here, <clears throat> and and we think we're going into like a parlor, you know, this sitting room to have drinks with, <laughs> with Gore, <laughs> Mister Vidal. <laughs> it's his bedroom, and he's propped up on pillows in bed, and he and he says, "Come in, boys, have a seat." There's three of us: me, yeah. Morgan, and Tom. Yeah. Come in, boys, have a seat, and there's no chairs. <laughs>
0: So y'all sitting at the foot of his bed? We all sit
1: around the bed. The manservant wheels in this cart uh, of, you know, cocktails. We have drinks, and it is, after this, like, two hours of excruciating interview that accomplished nothing, we had this fantastic you know it's a great conversation hour with a guy. hour and a half yeah. getting drunk with gore sitting on his bed oh. uh, it was it, he had all this memorabilia all around his room and it was really great and and you know if we had brought up we said why weren't why weren't you know we actually got drunk enough to ask him hey why weren't you you know so warm in the interview and and he said you put me on the same level as buckley and i can't abide oh. anything that puts me on the same level as Buckley, so yeah. he had his reason, but still. So we didn't use it in the interview, in it, but it was a great. So we got a great story out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, because
0: I, I remember. But yeah, I'm... you told me last time you were here. You told me a little bit about that, and for some reason, I guess when I had seen the film, I, had, I guess I had imagined that happening yeah. in there. So yeah. that's that's where I yeah. got that got that confused.
1: But wow, well, yeah. but that was a hell of a hell of a film. Yes. Yeah. Um... It, you know, those things are not easy to make, and uh, and they're works of passion until they become well, that's, successes. The, that's the basis behind any documentary. There's so much
0: that you can't predict, you can't script it, you can't You have an idea of what you want to do when you go
1: talk to somebody, but you don't know what you're going to get until it's done, absolutely, and that's the great thing, <clears throat> uh, you know. Hollywood films, narratives, yeah. they write the script, and then they go shoot the script. It's like, okay, yeah. here, yeah. we've got to shoot this and this and this and this. And for us, we go shoot the movie, and then we go in the edit room and go, okay, what's the story? What have we got? What have we got? How are we going to make this into, well, you know, what is the story to make out of all this
0: footage? Because you'll shoot 10, 12 hours of stuff to put
1: together an hour and a half, two hours. Oh, hour my goodness, man. much more. Yeah. And also, when you get into archival footage and archival research it's ours I'm working on a film now where they bought the um, they bought 130 hours of Newport Folk Festival footage from the 60s oh wow so we're, we're making you know hopefully we'll get to make uh, a feature film a feature film was made in 1968 classic film Academy Award winning film yeah. called Festival yeah. but now it's like oh about that, about the other 128 hours and 30. What do you do minutes. with it? Could we talk? Yeah. <laughs> 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 what,
0: what can we do with it? Yeah. yeah, but you still. I mean, that's and that's just it. In, in the in the documentary business, it's not like you get an assigned budget and away you go. You know, it's not like it's a you know a, a ten million dollar project. You you kind of have to get what you can as you go along, right? They all
1: are different um, <clears throat> nonfiction books and docs. You can get, you can sell them on the front end. Oh, um, I see. If you know, the subject so, is
0: bearing of that type of thing, yeah.
1: So, like, best of enemies, we uh, it took us four years. I thought, man, when when I got that idea, I was like, we will have this in theaters for uh, Barack Obama twenty twelve. Right, and then it was like, okay. We can do the midterms in 2014. It won't have the impact, you know. <laughs> and then it was 2016, yeah. and and Trump w- was running, and it was insane. It was it was crazy. <laughs> and and we were and so we we kind of we were a little ahead of that cr- of that crest. Yeah. In the way it rode, but yeah. Yeah, it's, but it was still timely. You know? Yes, it was most definitely timely, and it remains so. Oh. And it will forever be because they crystallized a moment. They, you know, I think that their, I think that their conflict, their uh, desire for the spotlight, finally took over simultaneously for each of them, right, and their hatred of each other. You know, their their, their desire for the spotlight overtook their sense of of uh, couth, of uh, of manners, right, and uh, played out right there on national. And TV. Buckley
0: himself was notorious for being somewhat difficult, I guess, as the conservative maven yes. that he was.
1: Yes, and, and um, one of the fun things, the first time, so, so the first time I watched the raw tapes, there was, was like two hours of tapes, ended up being about two, two and a half hours of tapes. Um, I watched it and I, I hit pause pretty quick and went and got a dictionary. Yeah, You know, and because I was like, okay, you know, you have to commit. If you're going to, if you're making a doc, you're committing to years, right? Right. So it's like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? Like, oh, good vocabulary, you know, let's, (laughs) let's, let's get the dictionary. And, 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 uh, and one of the things I got from Buckley was that a lot of those multi syllabic words he used was pure intimidation. It was gobbledygook. You know, you had to have seen, I I would assume is
0: firing line, firing line with Groucho Marx when Groucho was on and he tried that stunt with Groucho and Groucho was just not going to have any of it. And, of course, he's he's poking fun at Buckley, and then there was the, 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 the judge character, whoever that was at set. I can't think of his
1: name. Oh, yeah, 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 on Firing Line. On judge. Firing
0: Line, yeah. And, and he kept cracking up the whole time, because <laughs> and Groucho's dead serious about all that. He goes, you're trying to use all this language on me, son. And he goes, I don't, think, I
1: don't think the rest of America knows what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say, having had the cocktails with Vidal, I'd rather, you know, in the... In the modern American decision-making process of who would you rather have a drink with? Yeah. I, I would go for Buckley, having had the one with Fadal. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, you think... I think he was, I think, I think you would catch him and he'd, you know, be all... It wouldn't have been combative, I don't think. He'd, he would have, I, I believe he would have made a genuine exploration of how you thought about what you thought about. And so that would be, that was, that was good. You know, Vidal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, not, not so much. Yeah. It um, was all about Vidal. I need to grab this, this break here. Cause we, we, we started yep. at, a, at a kind of a funny time. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to get into yep. uh, Memphis rent party here and, and discuss it uh, I'll, right out of the break. I was going to play, uh, play one of the tunes off of, off of the soundtrack for this mm-hmm. book, if you'd like. And, uh, and if, is there, is there one that comes to mind that would be a good way to set this up?
1: Um. Just for kicks, first thing that popped into my mind was the uh, Junior Kimbrough track. It's uh, all night long. All night long. It's something I recorded on a cassette at Junior's Shack in the middle of a cotton field <laughs> okay. in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Where, as we parked and looked out, the only thing that we saw that was not a cotton field was Junior's was, Shack.
0: Was Junior's. So,
1: and this this, and is the this, this this is the track I recorded. This is this is your because I have another yeah.
0: version. I guess the the studio, yeah, 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 but I don't have this one. Yeah, no. what well, we do now, but we're, you're going to hear it though. So and uh, then
2: you can tell us some about his his house parties that yeah. he had because okay. those are really funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> junior kimbrough a very rare recording uh because the guy who made it is sitting in here robert gordon you may have missed your calling as a, as a recording engineer because you did that on a cassette that sounded
1: great uh that must be the work of uh clay i can't think of clay's last name clay jones who lives in uh, oxford yeah uh, oh, and it was recorded for, for, at for his for no 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 i mean he just took my I got uh, so this is the soundtrack to my book uh, right. Memphis Rent Party, and and two of the tracks are ones I recorded on a cassette. The Fieldstones is another one I just like, you know. I had the wherewithal once to to bring a, a portable cassette <laughs> recorder record and set it in the back of the club. Yeah. I went there a thousand times. I yeah. did that once.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, that's a that's a stellar recording there, yeah. and uh,
1: Juniors, man, it evokes this thick it's a it's a it's a it's a hot summer's day and it's it's sunday and it's 2 you know so it's yeah. it's and it's bright as it can be outside and inside it is just there's no light getting in cuz everybody cuz it's so dense with people and everybody's dancing and that that grinding is going on and it went on and that grinding just would go for hours and somebody would take off an instrument and before it was put down someone like Popped out of the audience picked it up and put it on and this guy got absorbed into the audience and it just the, the music continued
0: wow. Was great. wow yeah yeah if, it, if, if uh, anybody who has never been to a, a good classic juke joint you gotta go just go yeah you can't just, it's like going to a kiss concert and trying to describe it to somebody else who has never been
1: I think while Bill's in town you know uh, get it uh, yeah you, you can you can have a good time there oh sure yeah
0: well they have the early Sunday afternoon thing over there it's the old man yeah. friendly show.
1: Yeah. What, what time is that Sunday thing?
0: Four o'clock. Oh. Four to seven.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Go hungry, go thirsty, and be ready for some music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a, the, your book, Memphis Rent Party, has a soundtrack. Uh, it's, it, it's, 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 it's a neat concept, really you know to have a soundtrack that goes with it it does because as you're reading you might want to be listening to something or you yeah. want to yeah, go Yeah, yeah because
2: I have to tell you I found myself um I would read for a while and then um I'd put the book down and I'd go I'd go uh, YouTube and I'd google the artist uh-huh. particular song or uh-huh. or just to see Yeah. And you know, uh-huh. then I would go back to the book again.
1: You know when 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 I began writing these there wasn't the YouTube to work with right so it came from Memphis has a soundtrack you know because I knew where the cool stuff was in town, or right. some cool stuff was, and I got and people would share it with me, so I could share it with the world. And and then it just seemed like, I mean, I I said to Fat Possum, "Would you put out a soundtrack?" And they were like, "You know, if you do the, if you take care of the hard stuff, we'll put it out." I was like, "No problem, <laughs> man. You know, okay, I'll do that."
0: So you're collating it all, you know, yeah, 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 collecting it, and putting curating, it together, yeah, curating, curating, yeah, whatever it is that you're doing,
1: scooting it, you know, putting it all together and then gave it to them and they were like great and and they and we turned it around real
0: quick was there a thought that went into the tra- i didn't mean to uh, hijack it was, no, no, was no. there was there a, any thought that went into the track listing and the order of this oh yeah
1: come on man that's I not mean, because you're mean, making an album really yeah exactly i think of with all of these you know and this was actually the first lp i ever got to do oh this one's i've made a number of cds right but this was so it was great cuz i came up with LPs on, you know, you think about side A and side B. And so this time I got to do that. And I had the great classic thing where, where the uh, when, uh, you know, the guy cutting it to vinyl said, hey, can you balance these? You've got like one side is 10 minutes longer than the other. Can you move a song? Oh, and it was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you yeah. have to rethink your. Like, oh, my God, oh my- you're you're ruining my flow, man. <laughs> <laughs> I spent how many hours <laughs> putting this together yeah. now? You want me yeah. to do that? But, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, I understand why. Right. You know, I need to do that. I knew I would need to do big, that. And dead I Space in the LP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you want this stuff to sound good. Sure. And, and so it was like, yeah, I did it. But, but yeah, I think I, uh, I, I thought um, it begins with, uh, Jerry McGill piece, who is this obscure guy uh, who Jim Dickinson and Mudboy and the Neutrons always kind of uh, referred to as the
2: outlaw. It calls him the bank robber. The bank robber, yeah. right? And I and I did not know who he was till I read the book. Right, I did not. So so
1: now you've the first got I to heard see of the, him. yeah the documentary. So I wound up making a documentary on him. Uh, yeah, and which is what the piece in the book is from.
2: And and when you were talking about the making of a documentary, and you said you had you you just were you you guys were just doing all this filming, 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 not knowing
1: there's a where case. it was
2: going to go, but yeah. it, you knew there was a story there somewhere when
1: it ended. So so when we were filming McGill, he had cancer, and so we thought part of what we were doing was making a cancer story, right? And I had and he was living in Huntsville, Alabama. He Finished his third term in prison, and the reason I couldn't find him when I made this movie from Bill Eggleston's material called "Stranded in Canton," and and McGill is in it. And at the end, like I had spent a couple of days going through Florida prison records looking for Jerry McGill, and I couldn't find him. And it turned out it was because he served his third prison term under an assumed name. Really? Yes. You can in, do that in in, you know, in the 2000s. This changes everything. <laughs> oh he got away with it. You yeah. know, he was like that. He was a pro. So he was in fact a bank robber? Um his prison term, he was a he was a check kiter. Uh. Um, and his prison terms were attempted murder and I don't remember what else. And the attempted murder, it was like he said it, that was because his wife... <laughs> Uh-oh. I mean, you know, you're sending me down these alleyways, okay? Sorry. But, but, but McGill's wife had, uh, I think, either multiple sclerosis or muscular dystrophy. She, she, she was disabled. And, and so Jerry found a caretaker for her. Jerry's line. Her only vice was that she did crack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, he, so so the crack dealer oh screwed God. the caretaker's deal. Oh no! And, and Jerry, who always carried a gun, I mean, when I was with him, and he was already a felon at that point, he was carrying a gun, and it was scary as shit. You can cuss on this, right? Sure, you said whatever the fuck yeah. you want. Um, Jerry was a very scary person.
2: and and you and you said. I realized later that the worst thing I ever could have done was given this man my home address. My home address
1: and my first phone call with him because because he'd exchanged some short he'd sent me some short stories by mail and they were really good and I'd known of this guy and he'd been hard to find. Man, you got to pull the track up. Uh, uh, Desperados, Desperados, yeah, Yeah, desperados waiting for a train. And and I'll say so so a little bit about him Um, when when the when we got on the phone. Uh and he and he said I said, Oh, your stories are really good. He goes, I'll send you more. Give me your address. And it was like time stopped, you know. And I said, Wow, I used to have a P.O. box for just this kind of thing. If I didn't want to people you know? it, and the world balance, is just you know? like other of the world is caught in their mid position, right? And I'm thinking, Wow, and I gave that up, what was it, like four or five years ago? Uh, Jerry's seventy, you know he He's gonna be fine, and I gave him my my address and it, it ser <clears throat> when it came back to haunt me, the worst was after i'd after I'd filmed him shooting up in the back of a car, and I realized he was a junkie. his next trip to Memphis, his girlfriend kicked him out of the car and called me and was so upset that I actually couldn't understand the words she was saying and when I finally understood, she said. I've kicked Jerry out of the car. I'm going back to the hotel and then I'm going back to Huntsville. And I realize Jerry is roaming around Memphis. He's loose with Junkie your Jerry's <laughs> roaming around Memphis with my address. <laughs> and I'm leaving town there's, and I got to show this photo that... to my girls. Don't let yeah, this man yeah, yeah. in the door. Oh Give him a sandwich on the porch. <laughs> Don't let him in the door. <laughs> so, on this track, he's backed by... Uh, this is some of the greatest uh, Mudboy in the Neutron's uh, musicianship ever. The guitar is Lee Baker. You'll hear Alex Chilton on background vocals. It's it's a uh, Jim Dickinson production that was made over time, you know. Right. The tape that was, oh, good, I've got... Here's Alex, let me get Alex to sing back up on this track I've been carrying around. And... Um, and, but but the Lee Baker guitar here is really outstanding. So this is the Guy Clark song, guy named Jerry McGill.
0: Desperados waiting for a train. The soundtrack to, or part of the soundtrack from Memphis Rent Party. You said that's like the opening track of the. Of the yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I thought it was a kind of it was so engaging and unexpected that I thought this makes a really good opening track. What a and then, and then you get to do the B side. You get another opening track. You know, and, 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 and that's the Alex Chilton. Uh, yes. There'd, there'd been this cassette, not a not a recording I made actually. It was a cassette that circulated in Midtown, you know, back in the what would that be, the eighties but uh the Randy
0: Band is it yes exactly yeah
1: Gamgee's on Madison I never I don't remember Gamgee's I in the 80s I was in and out of town right so uh but then I got a hold of this tape and I was like oh man I've always loved this song and it was the first when I got to make the idea of making a soundtrack and Fat Possum said they would do it this was the first thing I cleared because uh, I was like that was what I well, we've jumped to Alex Chilton. Sorry.
0: Well, we'll get to that. No, okay. We'll get to that out of the commercial break, which we'll okay. we'll take in a little while. But uh, but yeah, go ahead. Go Natalie. ahead, Natalie. Natalie. No,
2: I, I don't. I was just going to say I don't know where you want to go next. Um, in, in looking at the the preface to the book uh, Memphis Rent Party, you entitled it "Give Me Something Different." Mm-hmm. And um, while I know that you grew up in Memphis, you went to college up north in mm-hmm. in Philly. And as you are starting to put together articles for magazines and Mm -hmm. you're starting to pitch uh, these articles, um, I'm just going to read this here. It says, um, I was pitching the unusual, unaware that I was fulfilling the credo of Memphis's musical godhead, Sam Phillips, who said to each of his artists in the 1950s, give me something different. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, even though that's a simple statement, I think that's that's huge right there. <laughs> I do too. And I think that it it just continues that that continues with with everything that's that's that goes all the way to the end of the book. And it goes. I tell
0: to, I tell every every artist that comes to yeah, here, give us something that say, we've never heard or seen before.
2: I was going to say a secret. I mean, yeah, we talk about that all the time here in the studio. And and I think every single artist in this book. I mean, and, and even Jim Dickinson.
1: You know, you know, trying to the the uh, embracing the mistakes, exactly, to, you know.
2: exactly, and and and, 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 and if you Sam, want to talk I about think... Chilton, same same with Chilton, exactly. mm-hmm.
1: but it all goes back to Sam Phillips, I think. Right. Sam had that spirit. He, you know, what I am not going to put out the best take. Just because there's a phone ringing in the background, I'm right, you know, right. gonna put out the best take. Right, right. And and I, and I think that is the, you know, I, I think in a I think that the spirit of Memphis that began to be recorded by the blues artists in the 1920s kind of came to this, uh, all, all, and the and the cotton field country stuff that was going on that all kind of converged at 706 union in the 1950s in sam and then it just kept going you know Mm -hmm. that's just where it intersected Mm -hmm. it continues to span out Mm -hmm. and and after sam and i feel like you know i mean i in a way sam is sam's the guiding spirit you know and Mm -hmm. as you were reading that i was like yeah I stand by. I stand by that. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: and to have to hear somebody read your read yeah, your that's work, you know, nice, that always like yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Although uh, the the only book of mine that's a book on tape or whatever they call it is uh, "Respect Yourself," and I've had great compliments on the reading of that. I put it on. I heard like four words, maybe three. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't do it. It was probably too close to having written it, but I just couldn't. It was like I have never. Did, did you
0: did you read the? Uh, no no, no 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 I
1: didn't. Someone else did.
0: Somebody else. And that's did, what yeah. I mean. It was
1: like hearing someone else's voice. Is, is it
0: an interpretation? You it's think
1: it's
2: a lady voice, in it?
1: Yeah, which mm-hmm. I'm which I'm fine with, but it was just the words were too close to me at that point, especially it's been oh, a few well, years, yeah. you know, and it might be fun now, but uh, and I was <clears throat> after a, I a few had cocktails good right <laughs> on it, you know? so I feel great that I I, I don't you know no misgivings about how it is. I I, I think it's probably. Really good, but as the author, hearing it, that book was like a fever. You know, uh, respect yourself. It was such a massive story, and well, it and, stacks. And, it's and wrangling all that you had so many threads. It was so a many mess. Characters. Yeah. So so when I, when I got it done, you know, to get it done, yeah, I had to get into a fever state that lasted for a really long time.
2: So, well, well, I know you, you also did a documentary on it. In fact, I want to just want to mention real quick that um, four of your documentaries uh, received Grammy Award nominations. Um, just want to throw that in there real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because he's the real <laughs> deal, Natalie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we actually haven't, and maybe we won't get around to all of it, but, but I believe you've had uh, eight feature documentaries and uh, six books. So anyway, busy. back back to Alex. If you want to talk about Alex, um. well, that Alex
1: track on the which record, is coming oh, up. Got yeah. a new yeah. to, are we have break time. Or? Well, we'll
0: take a break, and then we'll. Okay. And we'll you want to talk okay. about it after the after the tune, or you um, want to talk? You want to set it up?
1: I'll, I'll, I'll set it up by saying uh, that it was the guiding light for the soundtrack. It was like I really want. If this song isn't on it, I'm not sure I want to do the soundtrack. Oh really? You know, yeah. I mean, I would have done it, anchor, but it was right? the one. It was the anchor, yeah. Yeah. It was the anchor, and uh, Alex's estate was actually unfamiliar with it, and I played it for them, and they loved it, and and.
0: Was this just like one of those basement
1: recordings that were found somewhere? It, was it just it a, was, there an was off a track guy uh, in Midtown? Uh, again, the credits are on the LP. Everybody gets their yeah. their, their their due. Um, Dennis McKaney, mm-hmm. uh you, like, he told me, he said he ran into Alex earlier that day. And Alex said, hey, man, bring your recording gig to Gamgee's tonight. Because Dennis could, was doing a lot of recording at the Well in the Antenna Club on a two-track. Right. And um, Alex said, oh, you know, show up for this. So Dennis did. And it's a really nice recording. And this song always knocked me out. I didn't know it. It's a... Uh, It's a song from the Jimmy Cliff uh, soundtrack. Oh, harder they come. Yes, and and I didn't know that until after I knew the Alex version. But it's Alex and the Randy Band, or most of the Randy Band.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it's credited. Most of the Randy Band, and it's Johnny Too Bad. Johnny
1: Too Bad. Yeah.
3: Walking down the road with the pistol in your waist. Johnny, you're too bad. Johnny, you're too bad. Walking down the road with the ratchet in your waist. Johnny, you're too bad. Johnny, you're too bad. Just a robin' and a shooting down, a burning and a lootin' You're too bad. It's just a rabbit and a tune And a bird and a loon You're too bad What you gonna do When the man he call your name What you gonna run to Where you gonna run to What you gonna do When the man he call your name Where you gonna run to where you gonna run to Well I run to the rock And climb the mountain top It's a free man If I run to the rock And I climb the mountain top I'm a free man Down the road With the ratchet in your waist Johnny, you're too bad Johnny, you're too bad Walking down the road With a ratchet in your waist uh, Johnny, you're too bad Johnny, you're too bad Yeah, just a robin' And a shooting And a burnin' And a lootin' Your shoe Bye. There's a robin' and a shooting and a burnin' and a lootin' or two Bye!
0: out there playing songs. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I had to run up to the cat box real quick. Uh, <laughs> Alex Chilton with uh, most of the Randy band there and uh, Johnny Too Bad as we uh, continue on our conversation here with Mr. Robert Gordon. He's a uh, writer, filmmaker, a documentarian, a historian, whatever you'd like to call him, I suppose. And uh, He's got a brand new book called Memphis Rent Party. I, I had to explain to my uh, to my wife, she's like, "What's a rent party?" And I, I, I explained the the concept of it. You know, we're, it we're, plays
1: a lot of different ways. You yeah, know, a rent party. You, it can be in different extremes. Uh, but I, I learned of it as during the the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, right. It was you know you would if you couldn't make the rent, you would throw a party, charge admission, sell drinks, and that Junior Kimbrough party in a way was a rent party. It was more a house party. I, I, my sense was that Junior was having that. You know, it wasn't a matter of making the rent or not. Junior was having that party. Oh sure. Uh, but 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 a rent party is you know. So when you're done, y- the odds are if you've you'll you'll make you'll, you'll have cleared enough profit to make your rent. Sure. Yeah. And it, and she
0: she went. Well what would happen the next month? And I said, Well you didn't <laughs> worry about the next month. You you, you know yeah. you went. Hey, you went, that's a month away. <laughs> that's a month away. He, he worked it out day by day. You know, your fortunes can change in a heartbeat. <clears throat> Natalie, what else is in this book that turned your turned your crank there, hon?
2: Well I think I think Robert wanted to talk a little bit about Alex Chilton. And I oh, know, yeah, yeah,
0: we just played the tune, yeah.
2: And I know in particular, I think his favorite is if, am I correct, like Flies on Sherbert.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
2: So I'll let you I'll let you talk. Like, well, like on like,
1: Sherbert is the most chaotic of the Alex Chilton records. You know, he's, he's, he Alex Chilton first established himself as the singer for the Box Tops, kind of a, uh, um, African-American inflected sounding crooner, you know, gruff, sounded like an old man and he was 16. Uh, and then he sang with the Box Tops for four years or so, then sang with Big Star, then... Same with Big Star for a, a couple few years. Those very... Which are very uh, polished, um, rocking records and right. also very... uh with the latter. Well, that's the box tops. <clears throat> but, but but the Big Star stuff is like, uh, um, you know, When My Baby's Beside Me. And there's just great, great songs, very well engineered through John Fry at Ardent. Chris Bell and Alex working it out. Then just Alex working it out. And then... <clears throat> When he had like, when it had all gone bad, those r- r- records, those big star r- records, as perfect as they were for the audience at the time, they couldn't reach the audience because of a distribution mishap between Stax Records and CBS Records. And and Alex was, the big star stuff through Ardent was caught in the Stax Records thing. So Alex went in kind of, he's like, hey man. I've made quite a number of r- r- records their way. I remember the first time I heard Flat on Serpent, I went, I read about it by uh, Walter Dawson, reviewed it in the newspaper, and I have always supported local r- r- reviews ever since because that's where I got turned on to so much great stuff. And, um, and I was like, oh, this record sounds really interesting. And I went to Pop Tunes where you could play them before mm-hmm. you bought them. And I put it on and... And, and in the song Waltz Across Texas, like, second line, you, you, you hear Alex bump into the microphone, you know, like thunk, a real big thunk. And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> you, you and, 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 you know, and, and, and another song, it's like overmodulated, and I was like, hell no. Someone's throwing this in my face. I'm not buying that record. And I, it might have been six months. It might have been a year, you know, that I was back at Pop Tunes going, please, look in the back and see if you have any more copies of. <laughs> have, <to> have this <laughs> And, the, and, and, and um, it was funny because the clerk was Burt Less, who I, I sort of knew. Yeah. And I was like, and he found one. You know, it was like gone for a long time. I was like, oh, great. So I, I've uh, I've still got my copy, and I lo- the, I love that that uh, complete abandon, that capturing of it's, the it's, wild spirit. It's raw. It's, it's real raw. Real raw. It's <laughs> real raw. Well, so in an interview, like I, I, I I'm sure I did a number of interviews with Altshulton, but I, I remember like I did one kind of proper one in the in the back of Babylon Cafe. Yeah, and uh, and I asked him about flies on but I said. And he said, oh, yeah, it only took a few days to record, but it took months to mix. And I realized, oh, that's really cool, you know? Yeah. Like, how to, how to because now you've got all this chaos preserved on tape. How do you present it in a way that preserves the chaos, yet stands up to repeated you got, It's got to be
0: palatable to the public enough to... Overlook the rawness, I guess. Well, you know?
1: not to overlook, to embrace the rawness. To embrace it, yeah. And 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 I think they did it on that record. So I, I uh, yeah, I, I love like Flat on Sherbet It's it, not the one I recommend to going to for your first. Yeah, you know, to know him this way.
0: That album isn't the one that has the theme from the seven that was picked for the '70s show, was it? No,
1: that's one of the Big Star records. One
0: of the Big Star records, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Which it's is got, that like pop, polished it's got, pop?
2: Didn't have boogie shoes on it.
1: Yes, um, it wasn't. That was on the British edition back when you bought him on on LP, and you know, and that and and that was in a way that was like I came to think of Alex as a uh, as the as the of, uh, of, of of like song, you know, like he was out there exploring stuff and going, no, this is what you need. You 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 need to go this way. (laughs) He found Boogie Shoes before Boogie Shoes was a hit. You know, and and that was indicative. It was like because by the time the album came out, I'm sure Boogie Shoes was a hit. So it was like, wow, why is Alex covering this? Yeah. But you know, he had been on top of it, Mm -hmm. and and that you know that record Flies on Sherbert includes a Carter Family song an um, obscure guy from Louisiana with that alligator man song. Yeah. You know, just like all different stuff and mm-hmm. and and those later records on that he did with Ardent um and the different things, they, you know, a lot of them were like pointers. Hey, check out Nina Simone and Chet Baker and and you know, this New Orleans guy and Carla Thomas.
0: He was like he's like one of these guys that had taken his own influences and sort of kind of embedded them onto everybody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because normally
0: you don't see that in any artist. That's right. You know.
1: And which is why those concerts were so fun like, you know, to 20 people down at the Loose End at top volume, you know, <clears throat> it was like being at the greatest w- wedding party of all time. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. And and it was so much fun and 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 you know and, and I remember asking him about you know why, why don't you why aren't you writing more something you know like idiotic like why aren't you writing more great songs? <laughs> you know the love songs? I'm sure night. I phrased it better. <laughs> but but that's basically what I was asking. Uh, that's awesome. And, and 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 he said, you know he, and he, he said, look, I think someone who's written, you know, one great song in their lifetime, like September Girls, someone who's written one great song you know that's enough. I've I've you know I've done a few. He said, and I think he was right. So and and you know I, I understood him. It was a good interview because I understood him differently after that.
2: Ha. Huh. I think I think I read later where it said uh, his 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 wife said that he only wrote like under pressure. You know, if he knew he had to write for an album or something. I other-
1: don't uh, I don't remember that. Maybe so, but but. Uh, you know, w- what I observed about him was, uh, uh, okay, one time I brought him, a, 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 when I went, went to go interview him for it, it came from Memphis, and he wouldn't let me record it. I drove down from here. <laughs> My friends on up the street from me, each of them were growing pot. Yeah. And so that end of the block, it was like, You turned the corner two blocks away, and it smelled like great skunk weed. (laughs) And so, and I knew it. And so, and so I brought I brought you know a uh, a nice joint down for Alex, and um, and it it was we got off, and I said, oh check out this tape, and I it's it's my ghost of stacks past. It's Mm -hmm. go to my. Website therobertgordon dot com. You can find your way to the Ghost of Stacks Pass. It's tapes I'd found at Stacks uh, when they were tearing it down.
0: Yeah, and, it's a fantastic story in and of itself, really. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so uh, I was playing it for him. You know, at that time it was just a cassette I carried around, and he was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute," you know. And he went immediately upon hearing it he was like, "No, I gotta have this," and he went and got a cassette. You know, we dubbed it. Yeah. We dubbed it right there, right then, as we listened to it, because he recognized it you know it was like i thought he was he was all and then next time he played the shell he was doing a song from it so i think he was always seeking songs you know he was always on for seeking songs i don't know about writing under pressure but always listening for songs and yeah because ghosts
0: was these were these were these were recordings that were made that were they just they didn't go anywhere they were just left they were, behind the, and literally left behind yeah and then a guy like him takes it and he hears this stuff and goes whoa i can see where that—that
1: yeah. this should have been something yeah so yeah. let me do it you can and 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 there's and i've tried to re- release it at, over the years and and finally the you know some legal opinion was uh if you can name every publisher and every artist then we can put it out. Wow. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to post it so everybody can hear it, and maybe you know hive mind can help me name right. every art." Meanwhile, it's out. You know, so it's on my website. It's there. Yeah, and yeah. it's just it's stuff I found in a closet in the building when the roof had been torn off and there was a gas leak and a stop work order, and I went in and just it just grabbed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you rescued it is what you did. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. Yeah,
1: and it's good stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. it Was, was it the two-inch that you were grabbing? Just, just No, reels uh, it, or? Was half inch. it was all half-inch. It was all half-inch yeah. stuff, yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So who was it, Jim Dickinson, that was talking about him at one point where he got to where, if anything at all, he thought was going to be a hit, he just immediately threw it out.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And like flies on a sherbet is the example of that. And there, there's a song in there. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever heard this version, but there's a song in there called by Hooker crook. I think that's the song. It might be the title song, like Flazlin and Sherbert that was that they thought could be a radio hit at the time. Like, you know, punk kind of punky radio hit and that Alex totally flushed in the mix because he didn't, he, he didn't basically he didn't want that, you know? And,
0: God who
1: would not want to hit, though? But be, you know who would not want to hit? Someone who had spent their career to that point making hits and not, and, and, and not getting them. So someone who would want to say, hey, I want to do it differently my way. You know, screw the hits. And really, to me, that's what Memphis is. Memphis is the people who've said, screw it. You know, if I want to hit, I'll go to Nashville. If I want to sound like everybody, I'll go to Nashville. If I want to sound like nobody and have a hit, I'll go to Memphis. Well, and, but that's that—that's balls.
0: That, hey, that's yes, sir. gigantic balls to turn away that, which is a guaranteed check. Yeah, and to say no, I want something that different.
1: Yeah, I think so. You
0: know, I'll take the longer way around the barn to sell something that's a little more difficult and change the and taste. And may not sell of, any of it. And, and and maybe not. Yeah. And there's a ton of that stuff out there. You know, yeah. you go back in time like you did with ghosts, and find hey, these nuggets are really worth something. To somebody, not just the artists themselves, but to the listeners that would that would gravitate to that and go, oh, this, I, I would have killed to be able to buy that album. Yeah, I would think.
1: Yeah.
2: So eventually he ends up in Louisiana. Alex. Yes.
1: Yeah, let's see. So it's sort of like flies is the uh, wildest moments, and then he flees Memphis escapes Memphis for to New Orleans. You know, who would do that? But he does. <laughs> you know He goes there to sober up, basically, and clean up. And goes he takes... to sober up in New Orleans. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. there's Memphis for you. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you you got to be from Memphis to do If you're do that, that, that effed up, you've got to go to New
0: Orleans to sober up. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then he started making those, then he started making, you know, later records, which were much cleaner, and they all, to me, had a certain sameness. You know, they're very much kind of documentary recordings. It's like, this is what we sound like live. Those big star records had really been artistry in the studio. Let's make these recordings. Let's really work these recordings to sound, to create soundscapes. And Alex's later stuff was more song-oriented, and... The performance was kind of, I wouldn't say perfunctory, but it was, you know, it's a solid performance and it's recorded live with some fixes and that's it. You're not getting like, nobody worked on it to, to think about it the way John Fry and Chris Bell had, and I'm sure Alex had labored over those big star
0: records. So they were never accused of overproducing anything.
1: Not that stuff, certainly. That stuff was all about, I got my check, here's your tape, let's... What's next?
0: See you next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, you know, business being what it was back in those days—that's really what it was. It was—it was a factory, you know. Arden was notorious for that. I mean, we're to gonna, gonna bring you guys in, and we're gonna make a record, and you know. Well, s- yeah. sad to say, it's kind of closed now, but you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We, you know, yeah. It was—it was a real incubator too. That was yeah. John Fry was, you know. Teaching an engineering class and taught Chris Bell and Richard Roseborough and the whole, you know, the, whole people, the people who engineered through the Hampton Hardy taught him how to engineer all through the, you know, the people who engineered all through the 80s, 90s had the hits, sure, won the Grammys. I mean, you know, that all came from John's open heartedness at, at Arden. So let's go to someone else.
2: Okay. Um, you, my got, you got
1: you my got, got marks. Yeah, yeah you, you got dog pick. ears over here. Okay. What do you got? Yeah.
2: Um, I tell you, uh, who somebody who? Do you have uh, from the dark side of the street? Is that on the on the track? Dark end of the street. Dark you might street? have it on
1: in your catalog. James Carr's dark end of the street. It's not on my collection. I uh, okay. don't believe I do. No. Darn it! Um, I might have it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, we 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 still have uh, we have Calvin no, Newborn, right. Charlie Feathers, Furry, uh, Jerry Lee, uh, who is uh, recovering from a well, stroke. It, the right the now. James Carr story is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. If we could, if we could just still talk about his it was story,
0: because, yeah, yeah, tell it, yeah.
2: Because yeah, um, he uh, was said to be one of the greatest soul singers, uh, the world's greatest soul singer, which yeah, as I the, did not know. Right, and because he's a little before my time. Um, I don't. I don't remember too much about him. So he's one where I had to stop and go and listen, and, then, and then come back. Yeah. And um, I mean, uh, it's kind of a sad story. It's a real sad uh, because story because of his mental illness yeah. that he dealt with. Yeah. And especially at the end, yeah. where you really talk about.
1: Um, you mean the Q and A, the conversation? Yes. Okay, so what I, happens is? Yeah,
2: I'll let you. Take it from here. James
1: Carr is a soul singer from Memphis. He's a gospel singer from Memphis. He and O.V. Wright, like two of the most deepest soul singers, most aching, sanctified-sounding soul singers, both sang in a gospel group. I can't think of the name of it right now. And um, they connected with this guy in Memphis who I met through Peter Guralnik's book, Sweet Soul Music, uh, Mm -hmm. a guy named roosevelt jameson and um and and jameson knocks on quentin Claunch's door middle of one night says i got i got some tapes i want you to hear quentin invites him in james carr and ov Wright go soul from gospel and james carr records this song called dark into the street which is kind of you know whenever the greatest soul song of all time is going to be discussed Dark End of the Street mm-hmm. is going to be included. It's written by Dan Penn, uh, the great Dan Penn and, and the great Chips Moman. actually at a poker game in Nashville at a disc jockey's convention, supposedly in like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> That's
0: the, the best hits are written in like no time.
1: <laughs> and, and so James Carr records this, and, and, and he's already like a budding soul singer, and this is his big thing. And and he's on a small Memphis label called Gold Wax. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, it's got potential. And James Carr, things could have happened for James Carr. But in the end, ultimately, things didn't happen for James Carr. Um, this would have been like 1991 or 92. My friends, Doug Easley and Davis McCain, have a recording studio in town. And um, they would call me, they would say like, you know, this is going on might be something for you to cover. Because if I was cover, I was writing, I'd come back to Memphis with all my international connections. So I was writing for London and New York and everywhere, and and that was also when there was no internet, so I could sell the same article. I sort of had my, <laughs> <laughs> I sold it in L.A., Memphis, Little Rock, and yeah. London.
0: Yeah, your own was- syndication man, <laughs> it was great, man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs> Uh, oh, for those days to be back, man. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so they said, y- you know, James Carr is coming around. You might want to come around. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And uh, and I pitched it to uh, the London, you know, I was like, oh, soul singers, they love them in oh, yeah. London. Yeah. You know? And they're so, American and they're Memphis. <laughs> this was actually Q Magazine before Mojo. This yeah. was one of the stories that got Mojo started, actually. Um and And so uh I spent some time with James Carr at easily recording and it's we you know James was an off guy, his mind wasn't all there at the best of times, but it was close enough to all there that when it was working things you know it you could be normal normal enough. I I took him to lunch at the CK's over on Highland. And there was this great moment where he starts singing Dark Into the Street at the booth. And it was so powerful. This voice ringing out in its full glory, you know. And, like, when it was done, the food was kind of slung onto the table and someone needed coffee across the way. And I felt like James Carr, man. He had just, (laughs) like, blown up into this 20-foot giant Mm-hmm. And then been deflated to, you know, two inches tall, and and uh, and we're in. We got into my car, leaving the CKs, and I had this album, World's Greatest Soul Singer. It mm-hmm. was a collection of James Carr stuff, and it had this big portrait of him on the front of it. And I said casually, "Do you know where this picture was taken, or do you, do you recall having this photo taken?" I'm. I'm going to read some of this. What. 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 Yeah. What. What pages is it over there? <clears throat>
2: About page ninety nine. Okay,
1: so so, um. He goes. Okay. I go. Where was that photo taken? And he said, James Carr said, at a recording studio on Chelsea and Hollywood in Memphis. That's where I recorded. You've got my mind messed up and some other songs. I don't feel like the same person I was when I had this picture made. And I remember thinking, and it was kind of raining. Yeah. You know, I was like, and we're still in the parking lot. I was like, huh. So I said, do you feel like you're the same person you were when you went to Japan? He'd had this mental, he'd had this sort of catatonic stage moment in Japan that had ended a tour kind of. Disastrously. He just vapor locked? I mean, he just. Yeah. 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 And um, he said, yeah, I'm the same person. And I said, but not the same as this one. And he said, no. And he paused and he said, do you believe another person can switch bodies with you? And I said, the only thing that you can possibly say in that circumstance, which is, oh, I've thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) But he was dead serious, though. Yeah. And he said, I believe it. And I said, and so now, like, so at this point, I've like pulled back into the parking spot at the CKs on Highland. And I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? (laughs) And I said, did it happen to you? Yeah. At the airport. What happened? And so what I'm reading here is the postscript to a story. Like, I wrote this big story about him, and it's in here. And then now, now that he's deceased and, like, long deceased, I felt like I could share it. You can this. expose a little bit more, yeah. yeah. So I said, what happened? And he said, well, there was a guy that looked just like me. And I was in New York at the photo company. And they said, we're going to steal you. I didn't say nothing. And somebody I walked by, I walked by, and it looked like something switched us. And, uh, and I said, God damn, did like that, shit. Then myself started running said, you'll never get this back. Ha, ha, ha. And so I said, now we're in the car, and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm lost. This was at the airport, and he said, no. I was leaving from the airport. I was on my way to Jamaica. I met them and the guy that looked like I do now. And this guy got money, had his picture on it, looked sort of like I did. They told me they were going to steal me, tried to get me not to go, but I didn't pay no attention. And I said, okay, hold on, man. And he said, because I don't know nothing about that kind of stuff. And I said, I'm confused. And he said, I heard him telling me they'll be waiting on me at the airport going to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And so, (laughs) I mean, that kind of indicates where this was going. The psychosis was just way too out there. This was after we'd eaten. So we'd we'd eaten, we'd conversed, you know, we'd been real comfortable. And... um, for whatever reason he was started being comfortable telling me sort of expressing his inner thing and and so i'd written the story having experienced that but not sharing it but unable to share it in this kind of way i leave you sort of feeling it feeling the difficulty of being james carr yeah and and then in the book i was able to add the Postscript, which just I mean it's it is it frames know. it it so, does frame it beautifully so when you he, know.
2: when he'd asked him about the photograph he said I'm just a voice yeah I in said, other words I'm just a voice yeah that's not me anymore
1: yeah that's what he said and it was really eerie that like oh and, yeah I'm and, just and, and, and he
2: had not told any another soul about this he'd only shared this with it was, Robert
1: it was it was one of those days really weird day that lightning
0: in a bottle type of thing because you know part of you is going oh this guy's messed up and then you're sitting there going ah this is incredibly you know valuable to to, the journalist in me
1: was sharp enough to say listen and you know take this in don't you know try and get this don't interrupt this um and 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 you know and so thankfully I had a tape going and I and that's and so this is a transcript you know I couldn't I couldn't, couldn't have, recreate it no you couldn't couldn't do no. it justice to recreate it
0: no even if you tried to be like I don't know how, how messed up do I need to go here yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly uh, give me another tune off of the uh, off the soundtrack we'll we'll uh, we'll hit a break here and and, and then we'll play it um,
1: all right let's. Let's go. You gotta. What you're, uh, I'll let's let you give pick your time. We'll give, you, we'll give
2: you a pick. I've been picking. It's
0: up. It's up to you.
1: Um, got the uh, Fieldstones. Let's go with the Fieldstones, man. Okay. We're in Little Bluebird. Yeah. yeah. So so this is uh, Greens Lounge over at uh, Airways. Uh, over at Person off of Airways. Yeah. Uh, I hollered down one day at a, at, at the Main Street Mall. At a Schlitz Blues Festival, you guys sound good. Where do you play? And this guy hollered up, "J and J Lounge," which turned out to be a kind of catty corner from the Four Way Grill. And there's a long story about how I found it, and you know, because there was no Google Maps at the time. And um, and then the band, the Fieldstones, that was their Friday night gig, but their Saturday night gig at Greens, Greens was really the yeah. gig. Mm-hmm. And and we just started going there all the time. And one day, I brought that little portable.
0: I probably,
1: I probably put fresh batteries in it, you know? I'd learned I'd learned from not putting fresh batteries in when recording Furry Lewis, oh, you're supposed to put fresh yeah. batteries in
0: it. Yeah. You should have the thing bronzed and inserted into a <laughs> Hall of Fame somewhere, quite frankly, because that, that thing has served you very, very well over the years. So
1: this was the Fieldstones getting down in Green's Lounge.
0: like I've been to church after hearing that. Uh, the Fieldstones here at Radio Memphis and Little Blue Bird from the Memphis Rent Party, the soundtrack uh, to the uh, the new book from Robert Gordon, who is here in the studio. Uh, thank you for bringing these cuts to us, man.
1: Oh, I'm honored to get to put them out.
0: They're rare and unique <laughs> and uh, very special.
1: I don't know. I feel like uh, you can read about it, you can hear it, but it's nice to read about it and hear it.
0: It is. There's something about when you're reading and you can hear it at the same time, and all of a sudden the stories just kind of leap out yeah. a little bit more out of the page. You know, but I mean, you're a great writer. Uh, you you I really think. are. It's you're 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 easy to read, easy to digest.
1: <laughs> I'll take it. You should.
2: Yes, people, <laughs> get away from your Netflix. Go buy one of Robert's books. Buy them all. That's right. <laughs> I promise you, you will not be sorry.
0: And if it's and if you got to go digital, you can get them on the e-reader. Yes, thing, as, most know. of them are available. Yeah. Uh, what do you got there, Natalie? What uh, what uh, what what is uh, what's got you going there? What's, what's the right, next well, page turner you got? I
2: love me some Jerry Lee. Right?
0: Oh, the killer!
2: Everybody loves the killer, and, uh, and God
0: love him right now. He's he's healing.
2: Yes,
1: send him your prayers.
2: And uh, and I know Robert got the opportunity to uh, once again be in the studio with Jerry Lee. He didn't so, shoot you, did he?
0: <laughs> threatened. <laughs> he threatened.
2: <laughs> By that point, it was sort of like you're you a good know, company with Yeah. You know,
0: yeah, I'll kill you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, Jerry Lee likes to fuck with people. Yes, he does. So he's I'm sad. sure Robert was, has some really cool, uh, fun it, things it, to tell us about that.
1: They're working out like a song, a, a, a track, and he just while well, he's talking, he goes. I just look at him over in the corner writing stuff down. <laughs> you know, it's just like this undertone. Yeah. this guy? Talking to the guy, band God. about doing stuff. And he's like, yeah, hey, look at them over. <laughs> all of a sudden, everyone's looking at me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got to sit in with him while he was making a record called Last Man Standing, I think is what it was called. 2005-ish. Yeah, it was what Everything it was to one, me one, is 2005, yeah. so I can't be sure. It's like, close, the whole, yeah. The, all the 2000s converge they into 2005. They do, really, two like, thousand yeah. five. But um it was like three or four or five sessions I attended over about a year's time. I saw JW Whitten earlier today, Jerry Lee's manager. He's the one who got me into the session and I thank him for it. <laughs>
2: oh yeah.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, so just seeing Jerry Lee control the room is what it was. Like uh-huh. session after session. It was cool too to see the to see him interpret the song. You know uh the songs I saw there was a uh, Robbie Robertson song I remember them working through it, it was not a, you know it wasn't like a band song, but it was a later song and and in the time I was there it went from just the tone totally changed, the pace changed, they worked it through oh there was a uh, I was there when kid rock was cutting with him, and they they I think it was a stone song. And Kid Rock yes. really—it was really cool to see them find a place where they could meet, mm-hmm. and this song just, in the course of the evening, went all over the place. Well, how did Jerry Lee Lewis, I don't know, wrap his head around somebody like Kid Rock? He said that, you know, this was all arranged by the producer, and um, and so the producer said, "Oh, we're going to work with Kid Rock." So Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee was with his daughter Phoebe, who yeah. was then his manager. And might still be now. And Phoebe said, "So I put Jerry Lee's name in the internet. I mean, I put uh, Kid Rock's name in the internet. And the first picture that came up was Kid Rock standing on top of a piano, on, on top of a piano. Yes. And Jerry Lee said, well, yeah, I kind of like, like this like him guy. Already. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be fine. You know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So." uh <laughs> And and then and the and and the Kid Rock session, there had been these sessions where I don't remember if famous people had been there before that. Like tracks could be sent; they were recording the basics, and then the track would be sent.
0: Right, you know, some of the scratch tracks would come in with uh, with the with the final rhythms and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So, so, but for Kid Rock, Kid Rock was there in his bus. With his entourage. His entourage included, like, a guy who videotaped his every move. So, you know, there was that. All of a sudden, we're at Sam Phillips Recording Service on Madison. Right, right. There's a bus out front, and a guy recording Kid Rock's Every Move. And Jerry Lee, I remember, I happened to be out front when he pulled up. I forget the line that's in the book, but, I, you know, he came out of the car and looked like... What the hell is going on here tonight? But immediately <laughs> Kid Rock came out and 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 won him over. You know, hey, you you know, Jerry Lee was commenting on his bus. He was like, golly, Lee, look at that bus." And Kid Rock's, "Come on, you want to, you, you know you, you want to see my bus? You want to get on the bus? <laughs> I'm watching the game. There was some basketball game on, and he invited him on to watch it. And anyway, they went in, and they were you know, Kid Rock was drinking bourbon out of a red cup, and. uh they worked out. I think it was Honky Tonk Women. Um, yep, that was the tune. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's it. It Just kind of there was. It was a really good collaboration between two. I mean, artists. that's
0: crossing a couple of generations yeah. there. I mean, there's a there's a massive gap between these two guys.
1: They had they they had a thought about, you know, I don't I haven't heard the song in so long, but it. Uh, I, Kid Rock there was something they kind of stumbled upon that they were gonna let go of, but Kid Rock liked it and it hung in the song. It was really cool just to see the give and take of artistry, of right. you know, coming together.
0: Yeah, did they record that
1: in a live environment or yeah. was
0: it, it so it yeah. wasn't multi tracked, it was aside from it the It was multi tracked,
1: but it was live.
0: But but they they recorded their parts together. Yeah. yeah. They recorded live as a group. Yeah.
2: I think at one point you talked about uh, Jerry Lee being in the bus, and he was in the back watching Gunsmoke because that was his favorite show. <laughs> y'all got Gunsmoke he, in here. He I loved have... Gunsmoke.
1: If it, yeah, y'all and call me when you're ready. <laughs> it, it's sort of like the 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 impression I got was, you know, if I can watch guns, that kind of. Jerry's gauge for is this a good day or a bad day? Is did I get to watch any gun smoke today? And the more gun smoke he got to watch, the the better the day was, you know. And, and it, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the show, but there's two of the one character was played by two different actors, and I remember, I don't think I asked him, someone else in the room asked him, you know, hey, which, which uh, hoss
0: do yeah, you like yeah. better? Yeah, <laughs> which one was which it? You...
1: Instantly, you know, he had his opinion. He was like, all, yeah. all about it.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. I would never put him on that show, but that's <laughs> but that's that's awesome. I have the cut Harbor Lights. Okay, uh, so so this is, up, yeah.
1: this is uh, on the Memphis Rent Party soundtrack,
0: um, and it'll be it'll be after we do the, the the break here. But go ahead. Here's
1: the thing: this is a crooner's song. It's only ever been recorded. Uh, it was recorded by Elvis, you know. And it's like super slow, real spacious,
0: smooth, and, and panty dropper. That type of thing. It, it's
1: like you know, Pardon me, Natalie. It's a yeah. Um, it's it's a uh, missing your baby in the harbor. Yeah, I, I forget if Ships they're approaching the or, yeah, yeah. or departing the harbor. But but then <laughs> Jerry Lee's version is the only you know double speed rock and roll version that exists. It's not like he <laughs> said, "Hey, let's do it like the Stones did it." You yeah, know? yeah, it's just like they went in and 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 I've heard the, uh, some of the. Tapes of the development of this song, and they went in doing it slow, and he was like, "God damn it, you know," and just like, just
0: crank it up a just little bit, yeah. Let's started banging it out, and everybody <laughs> fell in, and
1: they did it, and they did it. Get <laughs> this number right now. You ready? <laughs>
0: The killer Jerry Lee Lewis Woo-ing! Harbor Lights. I, I like that, <laughs> just yeah, cranking I mean, it up and <laughs> just ramped up. Just it's ramped all, up. It's it's almost like his version of Chantilly Lace, you know. He's just Just gonna <laughs> unplug and go, you know.
1: And, and it was just thrown on to you know, spur of the moment interpretation of the song, but it's fantastic. It's great, it totally captures the. <laughs> Unlike anybody else captures the spirit of the song. I'm gonna be a shark, baby. <laughs> that is
0: that is uh, that is that's that's really cool. It's, it's part of the uh, Memphis Rent Party soundtrack. It accompanies the uh the the latest book from uh, Robert Gordon here and it's it's called Memphis Rent Party. Available where you get your books, but we prefer you go to the robertgordon.com is that right?
1: Uh I pr- if you're yeah, you can go there for anything you want, but um, for buying the books, get it at your local Memphis bookstore, Burke's novel, mm-hmm. local indie if you can. Yes, yeah, Burks, yeah. Local uh, no, those uh, guys are, Berks are and awesome, then order yeah. it online if you have to.
0: Yeah. yeah. And there are
2: others we didn't tell the folks about. Yeah, what are they? Um, there are the Elvis Treasures Can't Be Satisfied, The Life and Times of Muddy Waters, The King on the Road, Elvis on Tour from nineteen fifty four to nineteen seventy seven. It came from Memphis and Respect Yourself stacks records and the Soul Explosion.
0: Great book, that one I have read. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, is it uh, would it be would it be inappropriate to ask what you're working on now? Uh, Without tipping your hat, I mean, I know you, a lot of what you do. You want to kind of keep under wraps. I like but, to
1: play my cards close, but yeah. um, presently, well, let's see. There's like about I'm, I'm working on about. Six films. Wow! And it's the way you got to do it, and then one's going to land, and, <laughs> yeah. and and hopefully not all will land. Yeah, not all simultaneously. Well, wouldn't um, that be
0: a problem to have?
1: It's sort of the. <laughs> I'm kind of in the worst of both worlds at the moment because yeah. because none of them have landed, and and so I'm getting you know I've got no work, no real work.
0: Getting a little nervous, are you? There, Robert? But <laughs> but
1: then I live in fear of them all landing at once. So it's. It's it's the total extreme stress well, of both. You're getting
0: a reputation out there as somebody who puts out quality work, well, and, hey, and you, know, you know that's a good. It's thing. hard to
1: put it, it. It's hard to make these things happen. That's yeah. that's the thing is that you know all of them take time. I've got one project I've been working on since 2007. Oh wow! I thought it was going to happen in 2016, but we're yeah. <laughs> still working on it. still still working on. Um, it. Then yeah. one that began last year is that's hot at the moment. Uh, is um, I know these two guys who bought this cache of Newport Folk Festival film footage, 1963 to 66. Mm-hmm. That's the Bob Dylan acoustic to electric time. Oh,
0: right there. And yeah, right there. Yeah. And so back when he pissed off America,
1: one film was made from this footage in 1968. So so 90 minutes of the 130 hours have been used. And I'm want to make a film out of the other 128 and a half hours, just a nine, another 90 minute film. So, and it's there's tons of great stuff. Oh, I would imagine there is, tons yeah, tons of great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. wow. So that's one of the things I'm working on now.
0: Well, well, that's that's oh, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to. You know, light that fuse on anything else, you know, d- to burn what you're doing. Because I know you, somebody's out there listening, going, Oh, well, shit, I can hop on that right now. And, you know, yeah, I
1: feel, I see, I feel comfortable talking about that one because I know the footage, I know the owners yeah.
0: of the footage. And, and, and that's contained in, in, in good shape.
1: Then, then there's this other project that, like, like uh, I, I answered the phone. This guy calls up and goes, Hey, do you remember uh, two years ago when you said you were interested in? Directing this project, if I could r- r- raise the money, so I said what you're supposed to say. I said, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course." And you're going, you know, whatever." What, 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 and <laughs> he talked for a little while, and I said, oh, that, "That all sounds great. Can you can you send me the materials? I, you know, it'll be hard for me to find them. Can you send me the materials?" Yeah. And and um, and this, but this turned out to be a really pretty interesting story, and I've been, you know. Working on it, not working on it, for coming up on a year, maybe I think it's a year, might be two, um, a a guy in Nashville, a songwriter named Waylon Payne. Mm -hmm. His father was Jody Payne, Willie Nelson's longtime lead guitarist. His mom was Sammy Smith, who sang uh, Chris Chris Christopherson's Help Me Through the Night, 1971 Grammy Award winning song. Yes. And Waylon, uh, so Waylon, you know, his godparents are Waylon Jennings and Jesse Coulter, and uh, he was raised kind of in country music royalty, and also in this, uh, because his parents were working musicians, he was raised by other family in a very traumatic and had a very traumatic childhood. And he's a songwriter now in Nashville. He was nominated for a Grammy this past go-round. Yeah. For a co-write he did with, ah, uh, Kathy Matea, I think. Yeah. Um, so he's had a pretty extraordinary life. And someone has shot hours and hours of footage on him. And so there's a film to make. Uh, and and he had a solo record called The Drifter. She filmed this making of this record six months into the shooting the, the, is the eve of the record r- release he smokes meth the night before for the first time she's filming six more months and then realizes he's become a meth addict so she's been shooting for a year six months he's been a meth addict and she doesn't know and she shoots for two more years So that's the footage. Wow. And now he's cleaned up. Cold turkey. uh, Knocked on Willie Nelson's door. Got a trailer on the property. Willie's daughter's cleaned him up. Yeah. And so now he's kind of come back. What a brilliant story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great story. Uh, Yeah. and, And I've only given you one layer of it. Well, we'll leave it at that yeah it's, yeah it's it's, an, it's intense. so hoping that'll happen are
0: are you a are you a, a fan as a writer are you a fan more of eras or people
1: I would say artists so go by yeah. the by the artists by, themselves by the artists. yeah I mean and because you've
0: done some collaborative type of look when you look at like a respect yourself, which is you know the all of stacks, which is a yes, monumental spans thing fans
1: of 20 year period rent yeah. parties
0: the same way yeah, but there are certain individuals that really you gravitate you know, to thing.
1: <laughs> I was interviewing Ray Charles one time on the phone. It was that, that was the one time where I was like where I'm I'm doing a phone interview and and I and while I'm talking to him I turned to the ceiling like he said something you know yeah, yeah. and his tone sounded like Ray Charles and I turned to the ceiling and I said oh my god I'm interviewing Ray Charles <laughs> I'm on the phone with fucking Ray Charles what yeah. the hell <laughs> it's he, easy to
0: be starstruck in that moment he yeah. said
1: he, he, in that interview he says I was asking him this and that about genres and something he said man I don't you know I don't care what you call it I just like it if it, if it blows the top of my head off and makes my brain go wow and that's kind of the way I think of it too. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. So era, artist, you know, I I won't commit to the artist. They might do some stuff that's interesting to them, but not to me. You know. But I like this one and that one. You know, I'm I'm about. I like it when people do the, the odd stuff. The yeah. Thing, and I, I really like a lot of presence. And I don't like it to be too produced. Show you something different. Show me something so, different. So yeah. it's,
2: it's yeah. times like these when I hear just that story and I think, oh, wow, wouldn't it be really cool to be Robert Gordon, right? Wrong. Because you <laughs> say right here. Read it. You read it. Yeah, read page it. 214 of yeah. your book. Yeah, read, yeah. read the passage now. Uh, if If your spirit is crushed because you're not living your dream, know that the greener grass is hiding the same fire ants, the same dog shit, the same shards of glass.
1: Keep going, because it's true. (laughs) This is true. People think that that is great. You're doing...
2: Well, you say, attention all people who wanted to do this, but didn't have the guts or the luck. Attention those who now work nine to five at the corporation and live in anguish for having sold your soul. Now hear this. We all sell our souls. I envy your regular job with its regular pay and its regular health insurance and its regular hours. So if your spirit is crushed because you're not living your dream, know that the greener grass is hiding the same fire ants, the same dog shit, and the same shards of glass.
1: Yeah. It's true, you know. <laughs> People look and they go, and, I mean, it's like, really, I'm working, I've been working hours and hours and hours for days and weeks and years trying to make shit happen, you know. And that, and you just have to. I mean, you know, I've been doing it, like, now kind of long enough to be getting, a little, I'm a little tired. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> you know, you must know, you're not I mean, tired of the work,
0: though. Come on,
1: it's it's the work to get the work. You know, it's like it's really hard. Yeah, it, it, it wears you down.
0: The the business behind the business yeah. is is, or or has yeah. been said, the business behind show business is, is is people have a lot of trouble wrapping their heads around any artist that has made it. They don't think about what they had in themselves
1: invested into that. And even once you've made it, the idea that you know you're. You're just making. Oh man, they just must make music all day long. They're sitting in the studio. They just get to sit in the studio and think of ideas. How cool! Yeah. And and I'll say, uh, my film partner in L.A., Morgan Neville, uh-huh. who has been very successful, Academy Award winner, made the Mister Rogers film this past year. Um, he ha- I have seen him. We made our first work together was the Muddy Waters film, like. 19 let's see did I have kids I had kids because I wouldn't go in the I wouldn't go in the sharecropping airplane to get them footage I was like no man I'm not going in the airplane Uh, so it had to be within the past 20 years right right right. Um, you know but in so for 20 years we've been working together and I've seen him build a career that really lets him direct film you know almost all the time it's he runs a whole production company, but it has all these other trappings. he sure. still gets. To, but he has. It's been remarkable to see someone kind of. I feel like if anyone's achieved the dream, he's kind of achieved the dream. Right. He's. But but I'm aware of all the trappings around it. He's got like three offices. He's got 50 people working for him on all these different projects, and um, it's you know, I like just doing my thing. And you know, I work on the sofa. At home in Midtown. Yeah, that's a good when way to Best work, of it. Enemies was made, you know, it began on a laptop in Midtown. For four years, it was a laptop in Midtown. And then in the fifth year, it went to L.A. And then in the sixth year, it got in, in the theaters, you know, it became a movie. So that's the way it works. Willie
0: Hall likes to tell the story about when the Blues Brothers came out. Uh-huh. And he made his money. And everything was, was great and all. And he was like, I don't have any work. Nothing's coming. Yeah, and he said, everybody said to him, oh, "We thought you were too busy." Yeah, exactly. Because you just done this, and he's like, "Dude, I, I need it now. This yeah. is not. This is not going to last forever." You yeah. know, and it's it's I kind of the same that. way. It's yeah. there's that perception of, "Oh, Absolutely. you hit you hit it big time. You're you're yeah. the man." Whether you have the hardware whether you have the money or not, yeah. There's that work that that eludes you sometimes, yeah. and you know it happens. Yeah. But but you're but you were you were doing yeoman's work, my friend. You're doing very well. It's a
1: kick you. when I get to do it. I will say it is. You know, when I get to write and make the movies, it's really a kick.
0: Is there is there a tune uh, that you would uh, you would like for us to to close out with here? Um, uh, let's see what's on that thing. We've got the Panther Burns left. Uh, was yeah. that Tav
1: Falco that was Tav Falco?
0: Yeah, uh, Mose Vincent, Jim Dickinson, uh, yeah.
1: Furry Lewis, yeah. Charlie Feathers, and Calvin Newburn. Oh, you know the Charlie Feathers could be an interesting out. Just because his, I, I, I think this is a really great example of a beautiful voice. Just someone who can, who, you know, Charlie could have been in the Frank Sinatra, George Jones world. I think he had that much control and diversity in his chords and his pipes. But, uh, but, but he, was an, he was an ornery son of a bitch, and, you know, he didn't go. So, so the one he time. He
2: was pissed off at Elvis, wasn't he?
1: The one time I got to interview Charlie Feathers was when his only major label record was coming out. Same series that the Sid Salvage record came out on, like mid-90s, the American Explorer series. It was put out by uh, Elektra Records in the U.S. and Nonsuch Records in the U.K. Yes. And 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 when Charlie Feathers went to sign the contract, he couldn't read right, so he's having someone <clears throat> read it to him. And the signing almost doesn't happen because Charlie, who's been fucked by every record de- from Sam Phillips on, right? You know, right. Charlie's view of the world is Charlie was fucked, right? So he's so now there's A this bit big deal, yeah, yeah. yeah real bitter <laughs> yeah. when. This book begins with a story, actually, about—it doesn't begin with this story, but Dickinson had told me about Charlie Feathers being bitter and Jim approaching, you know, middle, older age and aware of his bitterness and that he looked, he, he used Charlie as his guide to gauge it back, to be appreciative for all he'd gotten to do, which I have held dear to my heart, you know, because in this—as hard as, as it is to get these jobs done— it is an honor to get to do him. Um, so shit, the Charlie Feather story. Where were we going with it, uh, Charlie? Ah, I lost. My, I, I went on. Well, the we're song. gonna play
0: the tune Defr- "Defrost Your Heart." Um, <clears throat> beautiful music. It's a good way to end it.
1: Yeah.
2: Thanks end for having it. me out. Thank Robert, you so much for coming, <laughs> Robert. It was a blast. You're
0: a joy anytime. Anytime you want to come on, you know, Thank you. next time you got a project in the works and we can help you out with it, please let us know, love, uh, love to. you know, even, even if it's just promoting it, whatever we can do for you, we're here for you, my friend. Excellent. It's, it's, it's always a thrill to have somebody who has studied this and paid attention <laughs> to what's going on because, you know, you're expressing those things out there to those, to those folks that are listening to get the books, go get them, read, learn. It's fantastic. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. We appreciate Thanks, it. Sir. Thanks, Simon. And here it is, Charlie Feathers from uh, the, the Memphis Rent Party soundtrack. It's Defrost Your Heart. Here it is at Radio Memphis. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you. You grew cold and hacked it smart. Won't you please? since no way let the sun shine say too much more upon my brain because your heart been crying, don't know why I keep on trying, doing you by can make you feel the same, like you did not long ago, when I know you loved me so, but I can see,
0: The proceeding was produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated and originally aired live on Radio Memphis. Any offers or advertisement contained may not still be valid. All rights are reserved and copyright is held by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. For more, look for all the RMOD players at radio-memphis.com.